0: We at Global Nomad Hacks are peace heroes. By playing Peace and Harmony Program during this episode, we help create one million pockets of peace by dissolving stress and tension. To be your own peace hero and get your own copy, go to peaceandharmonydownload.com. Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you James Ellsmore, who is the Director of Island Innovation, now, those of you who are remote workers, all of us today, hello, and digital nomads will be very familiar with the fact that when you travel, the places that we go to aren't all necessarily set up to support us in the way that we need. And James's organization is really doing some amazing things with connecting people to understand just what those expectations are and how to fix it. So I'm really excited to introduce him to you and hear more about what they're doing. Welcome, James.
1: I highly thank you so much for having me.
0: So tell us a little bit about your background. Before we get into Island Innovations, how did you get into this space?
1: So I grew up in a very rural area, part of England, and it was always interesting to me the idea of rural development and, 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 and building livelihoods for people living in rural areas. And I think that's increasingly relevant today. We often hear about rural areas kind of being discarded and, and left behind, um, as everyone moves to the city. And so that was kind of the origin of my interest. I also had a very specific interest in renewable energy. And I was fortunate enough um to have the opportunity to spend some time working in the South Pacific and then in the Caribbean on renewable energy projects. And I came back to the UK and I studied for my master's in island studies, believe it or not, which is a real master's degree. Oh, I that like you can the idea of that. In Scotland. <laughs> In Scotland, in the Scottish Islands, so a bit colder than the Caribbean. And what blew my mind was how similar the conversations I was having about island development were between these different places. And okay, of course, there were some obvious differences between the Caribbean and Scotland, but things like sustainable transportation, waste management, dependency on tourism, um, connectivity, etc., etc. A big one is uh, outward migration as well. And This was kind of, there was an opportunity as a lot of these places that had had quite slow connections previously were starting to get more connected to build what I call digital bridges and to try and make some of these connections. So, okay, what can someone in Shetland and the far north of Scotland learn from someone in Guadeloupe or Fiji or Tasmania? All of these islands have things that they do well and things that they don't do not so well. And they're working on their own to try and solve these problems. And so I created this network, Island Innovation, to share information remotely uh, between these very, very different places to help them collaborate.
0: It's so, it's so critical. And I, I totally share your, your feeling around there's so much more to be shared in terms of commonalities than there are in differences. I mean, of course, the resources may be different, but it's, um, I mean, it's such a needed uh, area. What were the things that really stood out to you as like, this is where I can make a difference? I mean, you obviously had the sustainability piece and the experience in various different islands, uh, but what, what was it that sort of gelled that for you?
1: Well, and I tend to use the word sustainable development, which people often jump straight to environmentalism and climate change. And I actually mean something a lot broader. I mean, clearly environment is a big part of sustainable development, but you also have to think about um, so it's environment, but also society and economy. You need all of those three things to work together. And economy is really important because in the real world, if you don't have a, a functioning economy, environment is one of the first things to suffer. You know, People pe- people often treat they treat caring for the environment as a luxury. And if they need to put food on the table, they're not going to care for the environment, right? So all three of those things have to work together. I was very fortunate. To have this kind of very broad experience working in these different places and being able to make those connections and be able to to bring these groups together and so thinking um, we were doing this before the pandemic and I started actually in 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 2018 we started the virtual island summit which was this online global event to allow people to connect and six months later the pandemic happened and all of a sudden all these people are calling me up saying James I need help to do virtual events like what is it and to me virtual events have a very useful function. I think a lot of people now see them as like, oh, I'm sick of Zoom. I want to go back to normal. But a virtual event and an in-person event are two different things. And it would have been impossible to do what we did as an in-person event without a multi-million dollar budget. And also the irony of flying people from across the world to then talk about climate change. Come on. So we were able to do something that was more environmentally friendly, reach far more people, and really importantly, was more accessible. I'd been fortunate enough to attend a lot of these big conferences at the United Nations that were government organized and kind of these big global conferences. And there's always a wall. They're hard to get into. You have to know people. You have to be able to figure out uh, how to get in there. So even if you could actually physically fly there and get there, you still have to be able to get your golden ticket to get in. And what I realized is there was amazing information and conversations happening in those places. And that information should be accessible to people. And so there's a variety of things that stop people participating. Obviously, one is is money, the ability to travel, getting visas, but even things like childcare or disabilities. There's so many things that limit people's participation. And actually, I think virtual events provided a way to reach people and to share information in a way to this community that didn't really exist before and so one quick you know it's, it's a small example but one of the things we did was start a facebook group something simple that people use regularly just to allow people to a space to interact and i remember seeing someone from one of the south pacific islands vanuatu post about a renewable energy project that was happening on that islands and just ask what do you think you know any ideas there was then a comment from someone in jamaica saying oh this is amazing this is how we're doing it in jamaica Let's see how we can learn. And then another comment from someone in one of the small Scottish islands, the Isle of Egg, that showed the project that they had done. And it was just like this type of conversation that was enabled by relatively new technology that would not really have been feasible even even 10 years ago. And that really, you know, that's a small example of of, of how things work, but I think an important one.
0: Well, absolutely. And I love that example. I think it's really great to To show that one, they're working on similar projects, but also that there's opportunities for knowledge sharing and potentially impacting each other's uh, projects. Have you found that it's also introduced opportunities for collaboration within those people as well? Or is it really more sort of, you know, here's what we're doing, you know, what have you done? uh, Rather than saying, hey, you know, let's share your expertise and do something even bigger or scale it, on, you know, globally. Well,
1: I think the... The opportunities for collaboration just because of the physical difference d- distance can be limiting. So the collaboration does exist, but it tends to be around knowledge and information as opposed to physical projects, It's just because of the realities of, of, of distance. And another example is right as the pandemic was starting in March, um, we organized a series of webinars talking about island responses because islands were quite unique cases when the pandemic happened. Often... Many of them were able to close their borders and and avoid COVID altogether. But then those that had been uh, where COVID had reached found that they had really high transmission rates and obviously often not having any healthcare really were in a vulnerable position, having limited healthcare resources. So we wanted to tackle that specifically. And we had a panel with the Minister of Economy of Greenland and the head of tourism from the Maldives. So two about as different islands as you, you can imagine. And it was amazing because this was more on the economic impacts, but the, the, the issues that they were talking about were exactly the same. All of our tourists have stopped coming. That is, I don't know exactly the percentage, but a huge percentage of income. Um, I know in some islands in the Caribbean, as much as 90% um, that has disappeared overnight. What do we do? How do we deal with this? Um, and back in, you know, it's easy to forget back in March, we're thinking, oh no, we might have to stop traveling for a couple of months but you know hopefully we'll be back to normal and obviously almost a year later here we are so uh, so so again it was about information and i think some of it is just saying you're not the only place suffering from this issue you know it's not just you dealing with this problem is is important
0: do you think that during this time based on the conversations that you've been hearing there i mean obviously it depends on funding, whether it's even possible for for, uh, islands and organizations. But do you find that they're making use of this downtime, if you will, to revise and recreate in a more sustainable way or or looking at their systems so that they can um, make them better for the future rather than just hurrying up to get back to the old normal?
1: It's a nice thought. And I've heard people talk about this, but the reality is in some of the islands, the economic devastation is so huge that the the, 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 the chance to sit back and rethink is also uh, need to balance that with how do we put a plaster on this and just try and survive for the week ahead. And there are some really like there are some places that have been really, really economically devastated in the last year. And even worse, there's no real sign that that's going to change anytime soon, um, at least in the next few months. So I do think there's a, there's an interest there. I think that a lot of places did say, okay, maybe we can rethink how we do things or look at new approaches. So I, I think there is a general understanding that whatever tourism looks like after the pandemic, I don't know why I'm doing air quotes. Cause when, when no one can see me, but um, <laughs> after the pandemic, <laughs> um, whatever that looks like is going to be something different. You know, yeah. Will we still have the cheap air travel? I mean, here in Europe, we are perhaps one of the cheapest travel in the world uh, to get across the continent for 20, 30 euros. Um, is that going to exist um, in the same form in the years ahead? And I think there's a lot of changes, but I think there's so much uncertainty. There's only so much preparation you can do because we realistically don't know where we're going to be in six months. That being said, I think there's an openness and an understanding that things need to change, but I just want to be pragmatic about the reality of of, of that adaptation.
0: Well, for sure. But I think that one thing that we all have to acknowledge is the fact that when people travel, they're going to require being connected because Mm -hmm. particularly people that are digital nomads or remote workers, I mean, it opens new opportunities to see new places and to travel and to stay for longer periods of time if you have connectivity. There's also, of course, that that small group that has the luxury to be able to say, I want to be be completely logged off for a week. But that's that's really, we're looking at the 1% or you're looking at people who take, you know, sort of one year, one week out of the year versus the mm-hmm. people that are going to go and and situate themselves for a month in Bali or in one of these other wonderful places that, you know, that you're, you guys have highlighted on your upcoming event. And I want to make sure we don't miss talking a little bit about that, because I think that's sort of where we're going. You've got this great event coming up very soon, February 9th, where you're talking about adapting tourism destinations for remote workers and digital nomads. Don't worry, folks, there'll be a link for it and everything. But that was part of what made me find you, because I think that this is something that's a really critical conversation. Uh, We saw in the beginning of the pandemic, there was, you know, those who were able to afford it were sort of identifying island locations where they could bring their whole family and homeschool remotely. In some lux- you know beautiful island destination, this requires a lot of adaptation for the the destinations and uh, what does that mean when we you know we bring ourselves from one culture into another culture? How do we leave that place? How do we you know participate in that new environment without with not necessarily even a leave no trace type attitude of, of the hikers, but really you know leaving it a better place and contributing? What what are some of the things that you guys will be discussing at this upcoming event?
1: Definitely, and it's, it's it's a really important one. I think that there's that change always comes with positives and negatives. There's there's no one is saying that change is going to be totally positive. It's all about managing that change and trying to maximize the positive. So there's a lot of discussion around um, some of the islands that really struggled with this, some influx of people coming from COVID uh, places with a high rate of COVID to their pristine island that would have been relatively protected. What we're interested in is talking about this idea of the digital nomad or remote worker. What does that mean in reality? Um, And I think that the truth is that there's not one type of remote worker or digital nomad. So destinations, whether they're islands or not, need to think about which category of of remote worker they're trying to, to target. Now, the one that has made, I think, the biggest headlines last year was Barbados. I'm sure you saw the Barbados tourist visa where the governor of Barbados said, you can come and work to Barb- from Barbados. We'll let you come here for a year, but you don't need to worry about tax. You don't need to worry about immigration. Once you're here, you're here. Now, that visa, I think, was $2,000 to apply, just to apply. And so, and, and I think $4,000, that may not be exact, but it was in it, it, somewhere around that, mm-hmm. more for a family. and so. That is clearly a different um, group of people than Madeira is trying to, attack, uh, to, to, uh, to attract. In Madeira, obviously, as part of Portugal, there's no way of stopping people coming for, with, with a visa. They don't have that power. Their digital nomad remote worker program is actually run by the startup, the local startup organization. So a very different track, you know, a very different group of people they've really focused on building community. So they, 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 it's not about these more regulatory issues. It's about how do you build community. So there are a number of different areas that I think it's important to, to tackle. But for me, the biggest one, well, apart from connectivity, but I think there's only, uh, the, 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 it requires a government to, to do something about connectivity in general. Connectivity is obviously the number one. You need a decent internet connection. But immediately after that is community. If you're, most people do not want to go and be thrown into somewhere where they're not going to know anyone. And so small things like creating an online group that people can talk to each other, making information accessible, helping to helping people to connect to each other and to the local community once they arrive are really important. And I think the destinations that do that well are going to be the ones that excel at attracting these longer stay workers, because it's really important that realistically, not every destination is going to succeed. I think what we'll see is maybe 10 or 12 hubs developing. Um, Pre-pandemic, they were uh, Medellin in Colombia, Chiang Mai in Thailand, and Bali in Indonesia. Those were the three nomad hubs, to be honest, because they're really cheap places to live, um, but also have a lot of other pros to being there. Um, Most of the islands are not as cheap. They can't compete with Bali or Thailand prices, but they can offer something different. They can offer security. They can offer somewhere that people perhaps want to stay for a longer period of time and that local connection. So that's going to be one of the key things that we'll talk about. How do destination marketers that maybe have traditionally focused on attracting sun, sand and sea tourists that come for one week, they need to completely rethink their approach. But I think if that's done right, some of these places that have only had tourists that have stayed in big all-inclusives and not left, and and don't leave them, these uh, longer-stay tourists, okay, they might be spending less per day, but hopefully they'll be spending it in a way that that money is going into the local economy. Because that's one of the big issues for many islands with resorts is that that money barely touches the, the local community. It goes straight out to some, foreign uh, office or headquarters somewhere else.
0: Well, absolutely. And I think, you know, particularly when you talk about the all-inclusive resorts, generally they're, you know, they're not owned by, they're owned by another multinational. And so it really doesn't spill back in. So in some ways that shift is probably welcome. I wonder, is there a discussion at all about the social impact in that um, you know, obviously, if people are choosing these places, one, because of safety, security and and whatever, but, um, you know, they're, it's basically they're coming in as wealthy individuals who can afford to have that flexibility to move. Um, and they're coming into a community that those people don't have the luxury to be able to leave wherever they are. Or maybe they just love it and they don't want to go. but there's um, there's that cultural aspect and the respect there. Is that part of the discussion or is that just left out? I mean, that's always been an issue with tourism. So it's not necessarily that that's I, a I new topic, it,
1: but... Right. And a lot of the issues around um, remote workers are not that different to the issues around around tourism. You know, like tourism is, is always a double-edged sword. And I think this is going to be the same. And it's about managing those... Those downsides and trying to reduce the impact it has. One of the places that I've heard a lot about the negatives from has been the Outer Hebrides in Scotland. Um, one of the most beautiful parts of Scotland, a very low cost of living, but very remote, and it takes a long time to get there. And people flocked there last year, and the house prices, while they were dropping in London and Edinburgh, they were rising out there. And local people feel like are, are really concerned that they're going to be priced out because all of these. Um, uh, mainlanders are moving to the islands, buying things up, and so you have obviously the the first issue is 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 that housing prices. Are local people going to leave? But then also in a place where um, the Gaelic language is very strong and they're very proud of that presumably most of these foreigners are coming in, do not speak that language. Are they going to make the effort to learn a minority language um, that is very important for that community but may not be um, useful outside of those those islands and other parts of Scotland? Um, like To me, that's a, a huge part. It's very important that that language and that culture is protected. How do you find that balance? I think a lot of the conversation... Uh, around remote workers and digital nomads has been around attracting people from outside to come in. I think one of the missed opportunities is about allowing islanders the opportunity to stay or allowing islanders that have left the opportunity to come back. Now, whether you're in the Caribbean or whether you're in the islands of Scotland, one of the biggest issues is that people, when they, to the age of 18, if they want to go to university, they leave the island. And then often they don't come back until they retire. So you have this big gap in some countries in in the caribbean in guyana and haiti haiti um, over 90 percent of university graduates emigrate 90 percent mm. and that's because if you're a university graduate there were not opportunities for you um, and again this is going to change that so one of the speakers at this this event that we mentioned is actually one of our own team from island innovation who lives in in the french island of guadeloupe in the west indies and she, after living years in, 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 in Silicon Valley and then in India, decided to go back to her island and was able to work remotely. And so we wanted to cover that part of the conversation because it's maybe the less, uh, less glamorous, less, um, uh, less money-grabbing, headline-grabbing one. But I think there is a real opportunity here for islanders to remain um, on their islands and, and to really empower people and, and to give best to quality jobs. For people who want to stay in their homes. Just to add another example, so one of one of our other speakers is from the Isle of Arranmore off the west coast of Ireland. Ireland. Um, this island actually, at one point, had the fastest internet speed in the whole of the Republic of Ireland.
0: Wow. Um, they
1: they they, they it really invested through a special government project to have high speed internet on this island, and they built uh, several years ago. They built a co-working community co-working. Sp- Base that could be used. And they did that because there were barely any children on the island and they wanted to attract families to come back. And this is an island of a few hundred people. Um, they're not looking to attract thousands of people to come and stay like Madeira or Barbados are. They just want a few families to come and live there and stay there and 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 maybe some more people to come over the summer. And again, I think by investing in that infrastructure, but also providing that sense of community, I think that this. Uh, This change in in how we work could could be really positive for island communities if it's done in the right way.
0: Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you are covering that, because I think that that is a I mean, not just in islands, but I think any remote area, they've really, Mm -hmm. you know, this pandemic has sort of pushed things to, you know, because of the need for the connection for kids to be able to connect to their remote school for big companies are saying, hey, you don't have to go back to the workplace. We don't want to provide a workplace for you here as long as you can do your work from home, which lets people actually go back to their homes, where their communities are and, you know, to really enrich those communities to minimize the brain drain from these places that they may love, but they felt they had to go to, you know, live in some dumpy apartment in San Jose so that they could do their tech job. And all of a sudden, now they could be back wherever their home is. And I think that that's something that uh, we'll see a lot more of. And I'm really excited about it. We've found, you know, we personally have, have uh, decided to move to a more rural area where, you know, we're excited about it. And we've got the connectivity. You know, we've always been remote workers, so it's not as big of a change for us. But what we've seen in our new location is that a lot of our peers, their kids, instead of saying, hey, I'm going to go get a job in New York, are saying, I, I want to come back here and I want to work from here because this is what the mm-hmm. place I love. I want to be in the mountains. And I think it's it'll be the same thing in, you know, the island spaces. Why, why take you away from your community? So I'm so glad you are touching on that because I think it is that whole repatriating, which can be very challenging, but it's also... It's a great opportunity for growth.
1: One of my favorite islands is Jamaica that I spend a lot of time on. I love Jamaica. It's such a dynamic place. The people are so welcoming, but there's so much so much energy there. And traditionally in Jamaica, again, high rates of emigration, but people would always have this dream of coming home to retire. That was something you, you hear so common from Jamaicans living in the UK that they want to go home to retire. And I think there's a change there. You, you see the slowly growing tech scene in Kingston, which you know is small, but if people are have the chance to live on that island where it's a lower cost of living and you have all the benefits of being close to your family and your culture, then why, why wouldn't you? And realistically, there is less and less convincing me that you need to live in New York versus Kingston now, when so much business is done online. So why not move back? And the big benefit that that will have. Uh, on a government level for someone like Jamaica is increasing the tax base. Because what you find is the government is paying to put kids through school and students through university, and then they leave. And, you know, h- how is that a sustainable model? You're putting all this money into kids, and Jamaica has a, has two very excellent universities, several ex- excellent universities, that, are, that the money is coming from the government, and then people leave. Like, how is that sustainable? So, again, I think if we're able to... To, to help people do that there'll be a lot of really important knock-on effects that hopefully will empower places that that you know are already doing amazing things to reach even even higher
0: well and to come back come back full circle to the sustainability conversation there's people will be investing more in their home spaces if they think that they can actually stay and mm-hmm. to look at things not from i'm only going to be here for a short time so don't worry about it it's kind of like leaving you know The way a lot of people have been treating the earth it's sort of well i'm only here for this short period of time let the next generation deal with it now if you're actually looking at a place that you're going to spend a lifetime you might treat it a little bit differently and there's a different respect for for all for all of the different issues so hopefully we'll see some real shift there as well
1: Mm -hmm. definitely i think there's so many unknowns though i you know we can speculate but I think whatever happens will uh, will probably surprise us all.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, nothing is really known. But I mean, and I always go on the optimistic side. So I know, I know there's the other side too. But I I, I prefer to stick with the optimistic side. That's no.
1: And I think what you said is 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 so true. Don't get me wrong. I think I think there's, there's there there will be so many so many benefits, but there'll be a lot of surprises as well.
0: Yeah. No. I, I absolutely. And it'll be very interesting to see how people just in in the sense of sort of when and how people choose to travel as things start picking up again. Will mm-hmm. will we have these remote off-site meetings? And if we do, hopefully we'll be much more conscientious about how we choose and when we choose to do them. And, you know, really not doing them because it has to be done on a regular basis, just because it's in the schedule, but more, mm-hmm. you know, we need to meet face-to-face for this particular meeting. Otherwise we can do it remotely. So. They, you know, maybe that also means that we can take longer vacations or take longer periods of time and really get to know a space in a different way that we never had before. So, when you go to an island, you go for a month. My brother and his family are down in the island of Dominica and they've been doing that for years. They go down and they rent a place for a month. And this year, I think they're actually going for two months because they can work mm-hmm. remotely from there. And they've been very, you know, gotten very engaged with the community. At one point they were down there when their girls were much smaller. They're now college age, but uh, they went down there and they put their girls in school there. And so they have a Mm -hmm. real connection with the community and eventually actually helped them build a library for the school and all of these different things. But I think we'll have more, we'll be able to, the longer you stay in a space, the more connected you get to it and the more opportunities there are to give back. And I think that hopefully we'll see a little bit more of that too, because the islands will need it. They're going to need it mm-hmm. as we're moving forward. As you said, a lot of the islands, 90% of their uh, their revenues were from tourism. And a mm-hmm. lot of that's gone.
1: Yep, definitely. And and as I say, for many of them, the 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 model of that tourism was very extractive. The model of tourism was the the money was not staying locally. These big resorts were owned by people who did not even live on the islands. Had, had, we had no connection. So it was a very extractive model. And I don't think that's going to disappear completely. But again, even things like, I mean, Air, Airbnb is a model which has, there's, there's many things to criticize about Airbnb. But in somewhere like the Caribbean, what that allowed was for people to rent their own spaces. Because previously, to get a slice of the tourism pie, you had to have enough to build a 100 room plus hotel. You know, It was all about the big resorts. Airbnb changed that by actually allowing people to access things. So there's all these things that you can say about the damages of Airbnb, and in some places it has had, you know, been been detrimental on some levels. But tourism is always going to be like, like this, the double double-edged sword. But I think the next step is how are companies going to adapt? Are companies going to realize that remote work is not a let's get through it? You know, let's hope by next year, things will be back to normal again. But actually that a lot of employees want to work remotely. They want that flexibility. It doesn't mean that they're going to go and move to Dominica. It might be that they just want the flexibility to be able to pick their kids up after school and, and work a little bit in the evenings. But, you know, our team is completely remote at Island Innovation. We have team members in eight countries and that, they, they, they enjoy that flexibility but also it allows us to benefit from a really diverse skill set and really diverse perspectives of people living in very different situations. And I'm, I'm really glad that we have that structure, even though I've never met most of my team in person. Um, it doesn't seem a, a barrier to me. And I'm hoping that I will get to meet them at some point when we can travel again in person. But it's um it, 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 there's, there's not really a barrier to, to working, I don't think.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And I think I mean, everything you say, it's really, it's where we're moving and we need to have these conversations and we need to look at sort of the future of workplace and the future of travel. All of these different things are, it's not just a, this is what's happening in the pandemic and then we're going to go back to whatever. I mean, it's not going back, you know, you've sort of the genies out of the bottle. So, you know, we need to, we need to look at what's going to happen in the future. So, I think it's really exciting what you're doing and I'm so glad that you're pulling together these people. For those of you who missed out on the first part, it's February 9th is this uh, upcoming event and there will be a link on, um, on the show notes, but it's uh, islandinnovations.co slash remote hyphen work. And I believe it's free. Is that correct?
1: It's free. Yes. If you go to islandinnovation.co um you can click on our events page. We have a number of other events coming up. So this is, I think, the most relevant one for you. But we have a different one, which I think is is, is perhaps interesting, is about attracting the Chinese tourism market. Again, thinking about these big global changes, one of the huge powers now financially is, is China. And a lot of destinations do not know how to treat or how to welcome Chinese tourists. And this is not for every destination, but some destinations are going to find that actually this new influx of Chinese tourists might replace some of the tourism that they've lost from their traditional markets. So we're really excited about that one, and then we have another event in in April called the Island Finance Forum that brings together a whole range of stakeholders to talk about finance. So um yeah, do check out our website for uh, all of our all of our events are free. We have lots of things happening throughout the year. That's
0: great, and I think you know it's definitely worth checking out and even if you're, you know, not working in the hospitality space but you're in your remote work and you're wondering how to have continuity going forward or uh looking at, you know, maybe even participate in some of the conversations there and and get involved because it seems like, you know, we need input from both sides. And I think that's really critical. So thank you for hosting that conversation and providing a good space for that collaboration. It's uh it's it's really great. And I I just appreciate the work that you're doing. And want to thank you. So, folks, you. this has been really great. We really uh, appreciate your spending the time with us today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget that you can check out the show notes. You can get all the links there. So don't worry about trying to write things down. If you enjoyed today's show, please do make sure you uh, give us a rating and review. We always appreciate that. And subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming shows. And it's just it's an honor and pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you. And bye bye for now.